Global Capital Podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Global Capital Podcast. I'm Ralph Sinclair and I'm the editor of Global Capital. And I'm John Hay, Corporate Finance and Sustainability Editor. Last week on the podcast, we talked a little bit about how investors were becoming a bit more discerning about the bonds they bought, given how volatile the financial markets have been lately. There's no sign of that volatility abating anytime soon. This week, for example, Jerome Powell, the chair of the Federal Reserve in the US, said that the Fed wouldn't hesitate to push rates up until inflation comes down. That drove some equity indices to suffer their biggest drops in a day since the start of the pandemic. But in the capital markets, bond issuers from governments to banks to multinational conglomerates to smaller companies all need to raise money regardless of how rough the markets are. We'll be speaking to our Latin America correspondent, Ollie West, about a story that he's written alongside our Emerging Markets editor, Francesca Young, about how one of the more vulnerable groups of issuers, those from the emerging markets, are going to have to subject themselves to a perilous time of it if they want to raise the funding they need from the bond market. And meanwhile, in developed markets, it's also pretty tricky. Obviously, the, the scale of distress is much, much lower, and especially when we're talking about uh, the best issuers, that is uh, public sector organisations, uh, the, the actual governments in, in Europe and uh, other developed countries and uh, their agencies and uh, the multilateral development banks. And we've also got something of a good news story uh, among the uh, among the tourist sector, which is uh, able, able now, it seems, to come and raise equity financing, uh, just as all sorts of other companies are having a great great struggle with uh, bringing equity financing uh, but more of that later but for now let's um, let's just talk briefly John about the uh, what you were talking about the bond market for um, public sector issuers yeah. and how really there's there's signs of discernment within that market aren't there I think um, now typically if I think about this market often a rare borrower the one who comes to the market less often will have a great deal of demand for their bonds um, versus some of the more frequent issuers that are in the market all the time that have these big big liquid curves or what i mean by liquid curve meaning a, a set of bonds you can trade in and out of easily but really that's become the sort of prize feature of a of an ssa bond issuer now hasn't it the liquidity yeah. of its bonds rather than necessarily just the quality of its credit yeah and it's interesting it, exactly um in in rather than sort of seeking diversity and sort of interesting different names um that the the investors in in pretty much every sector want the familiar and and that means um in in the ssa world the biggest the biggest issuers essentially um and those of good credit quality and 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 there's a there is an advantage to that because if they've got more debt out there it's usually easier to trade and um in, investors are, are telling banks that they want these liquid names so that they can sort of shift in and out of positions quickly yeah that's right and we saw that uh in this week's deals didn't we um the europe European stability mechanism and the European Investment Bank, both very frequent, very big offer, uh, sorry, very big issuers, um, both drew much higher uh, subscription ratios, that is to say, the amount of orders versus the amount of bonds they actually issued, than 
in this case, Luxembourg. Now, Luxembourg, very highly rated, of course, an absolutely uh, fantastic credit, but they're not on the market that often and the bonds don't trade a great deal and they're very tightly held. Um, we've got the numbers here uh, on the... Well, first of all, we'll take, we'll take the... Um, the seven-year deal that Luxembourg did, it had 3.8 times the number of orders uh, to the number of bonds. Um, the 20-year, which is a much longer, much riskier trade, you would expect that to have a lower uh, subscription ratio in this market. And indeed, it did 1.84 times the number of bonds. But then contrast that with the EIB and the ESM. Uh, the EIB drew, well, they both drew orders of near enough six times the amount of bonds they, they, they issued. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's quite a clear demonstration, isn't it? Because Luxembourg is exactly the sort of exciting, rare name that uh, investors usually get get uh, thrilled about. And as our reporter, Mike Turner, who covered this for us this week, uh, wrote, they might be developing a market of haves and have-nots in the SSA issuer market. But really, it's, it's, it's only about a sort of uh, a quantum of demand, isn't it? It's not really about market access. Yeah, of course, um, these names all all do have market access. It's it's about the num. You know, essentially, we're measuring in in numbers of basis points um, how tightly they can fund. But that is that is the whole art and uh, science of the public sector bond market, which is about uh, getting the the finest possible costs of funds for these issuers. Um, yeah, of course, it's uh, a market of great subtlety and sophistication. Yeah. <laughs> but but of course, you know, the SSA market of of course includes. Um, issuers with 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 more serious funding issues, such as Italy, Spain, and you know Greece, for example, um, where you know when when distress builds up in the market, it, there's 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 much more real pain that that, that comes along. Yeah, that's right. The um, the one of the key measures of uh, I suppose risk for southern European countries is the is the swap sorry is the spread between. Uh, Italian BTBs and German Bunds, and that's sort of drifting ever wider, it seems. Um, but you know, if if Italy has one thing going in its favour, it's it's that its bonds are liquid. It's one of the biggest bond issues in the world. It has one of the biggest bond markets in yeah. the world, and a huge amount of domestic uh, buyers yeah. that will always show up to buy buy Italian government debt. Another thing in Italy's favour is tourism, of course, and um, the tourism sector is one that's re recovering quite nicely at the moment. Um, and uh, you know, it was it was probably the worst hit sector by the by the pandemic. Um, you know, air travel fell something like three quarters in twenty twenty. You know, it was it was far worse than than nine eleven or any of the other previous crises. And um, without government help. The industry would would essentially have gone under. Um, that government help did come, and um, and later, quite quickly actually and impressively, that these companies were able to turn to the equity market in twenty twenty one to uh, to raise capital. Um, now, and what's happening this week is um, they're coming back again, isn't it? That's right. That's right. We saw uh, the German uh, tour operator Tui um, come to raise 469 million euros of equity equity capital and that was to pay back state aid um it is of course benefiting from the fact that there are now not you know many fewer covid restrictions in place preventing people from going on holiday people are obviously absolutely desperate to get away and even business travel is back isn't it and yeah. um 
the you know the airlines and the travel companies all benefit from that and uh it's not just TUI. we hear that uh, air france is due to, to come with another rights issue to the market in the next uh, few weeks um and so it's 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 an it's a it's a significant point, isn't it? That these companies are coming to the equity markets to raise capital, just at a time when all sorts of what you might perceive to be higher quality companies that were supposedly going to reopen the IPO market, for example. I'm thinking of the uh, skincare company Galderma, which has postponed its deal. CVC, the private equity company, has postponed its deal. Uh, Porsche was going to be one of the banner IPOs of the year. That if if it happens at all, will happen in the fourth quarter. All these companies aren't aren't able to or don't want to come to the equity markets at all. But of course, these these travel companies face possibly face something of a narrow window because the the macroeconomic pressures um, that are sort of affecting the bond market are affecting are going to affect these companies too, aren't they? Yeah, it's it, there was a very interesting uh, thing I read this week about uh, the uh, U.S. retail sector, um, and although consumer spending in the U.S. is up. There are some worrying signs starting to creep in with, um, uh, you know, the results of companies like Target and Walmart um, that people are are not buying big ticket items like furniture, mm-hmm. you know, TVs and so on. And uh, um, but but one sort of thing they are buying is luggage, and and this is because yeah. people they they think that there's still. Uh, you know, great enthusiasm to travel, go on holiday, and people will perhaps prioritise that over, um, uh, you know, consumer goods for the time being. However, um, as you say, um, you know, the cost of living is going up and that's all anyone's talking about. So, uh, you know, at some point that is going to eat into um, people's ability and willingness to, to splash out on holidays. And, and more directly, perhaps, well, no, just as directly as, as that is the uh, rising cost of fuel. Um, you know, airlines are uh, facing higher higher cost of fuel as the rest of us are, and that will start to eat into their, their margins, such as they are, um, at some point soon if they haven't already. And it, the trouble with this is that uh, um, the airline industry is so competitive. Um, I mean, you, the fuel is not actually a sort of, very serious cost to uh, to travelers if if it goes up you know 20% or something the, the, the airline ticket is not going to um be dramatically different in price um because it's not you're not paying just for the fuel um but the trouble is the the airlines are competing with each other so hard on price mainly um and therefore they they are reluctant to pass on all the cost of uh, fuel increases to customers and that that just comes straight out of their profits then and of course for the equity market that is uh, what they're looking for is profit growth so um it, it, it it's as you say quite precarious for the airlines uh, looking and, a bit further you would, ahead you would of course have hoped that the airlines would have hedged their fuel costs too well yes and no um i mean they they do use hedging but not all the airlines are fully hedged and you know there are there are there are also you can get it wrong by hedging as well because you well you can get it wrong in the eyes of the market because if you hedge and then fuel costs fall um you, you look silly um now I, I i always think that that's a very short-sighted view and people shouldn't be laughed at for carrying an umbrella if it doesn't rain but on the other hand um you know airlines don't don't always uh, hedge hedge themselves fully 
And I think a, a very, there's a very interesting aspect to it as well, because, you know, all the Aidan Gregory, our uh, equities uh, editor, spoke to bankers about this this week and who are working on these deals and sort of advising airlines about their funding uh, options. And, and they are kind of encouraging them to come now, now during this recovery of, of the tourism season. And particularly, they've got an eye on the future and, you know, inflation and fuel costs making things worse for the airlines again. But the but there's a paradox here, because if you're if you're going out um, to the equity market to raise capital, you've got to be selling a positive story. And if at the same time you're doing it because you think things are going to get worse, um, it's it's a slightly awkward position to be in. So that that has to be handled quite carefully. Well, uh, also uh, facing a tough window for uh, issuing um, are emerging market uh, borrowers in the bond market. And we spoke to Ollie West, our Latin America correspondent, about that. Hi, Ollie. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Ralph. A pleasure as always. Now, we wanted to talk to you this week about borrowers in the emerging markets. We're uh, discussing generally about how hard it is to get bond issuance done in such volatile markets. Yeah. Um, and there is no more vulnerable group of borrowers, is there, than, uh, than those from the emerging markets? That's the case. When the world gets kicked... Um... Uh, emerging markets tend to take the brunt and uh, this is this is playing out in primary markets which is where uh, emerging market countries banks and companies uh, fund themselves and uh, issuance is is way down on last year and you know bankers say it's the worst year they can remember okay worst year ever so what's behind that well if you look at volumes uh, which is what these bankers uh, mostly care about. Uh, there are down forty over forty percent in all um, emerging market regions, whether that's Latin America, um, CEMIA as as it's known, which is Central Eastern Europe, Middle Eastern Africa, or Asia. Uh, and what's behind it? Well, well, basically, it's been very difficult and very expensive for emerging markets to access um, f- funding in international markets, um, and, and and that expense means that. Uh, some of them are squeamish about doing so. They don't want to be seen to, to pay up. Um, but also when, when markets are challenging, uh, it's not clear that all emerging market borrowers, which are riskier than developed market borrowers, um, ha- actually have access to funding. But why are investors so reluctant, um, given that, you know, first of all, there are dedicated emerging market investors whose whole job is to invest in EM bonds. And secondly, obviously, we, we do have, a, a, you know, very serious situation with the war in Ukraine, but that is not very close to Latin America, for example, or, or Africa. So so why are, why is this this generalized risk aversion? Well, there are two parts to this. Even before the war in Ukraine, it was already very difficult for emerging markets borrowers. Um, that's simply because of the, the rates rises in the USA um which affect all bond yields across across the world um and if there's a generalized bond sell-off uh, then emerging market bonds are going to be hit too uh, that means that new deals that were coming to market were performing badly and uh and issuers are going to continue asking for higher premiums um 
to, to, to sorry, investors are going to continue to issue, ask for higher premiums to invest in new deals. Um, the significance of the Russia and Ukraine conflict, uh, it's very high for certain emerging markets borrowers, but mostly the ones that are, are close to it East, in Eastern Europe. Um, and then uh, away from that, though, um, in terms of which countries are, are worst affected, it's a, it's a mixed bag. Um, a lot of countries in North Africa, for example, uh, were very heavily dependent on uh, grain and wheat from Ukraine and Russia. Uh, they're facing a, a pretty acute f food crisis that's going to have a serious effect on their public finances, which means that investors are less keen to, to lend to them. If you take Latin America, you've kind of seen the opposite. Um, the increase in fuel prices, as uh, uh, energy prices as a result of the war, is actually beneficial for countries like Colombia, Ecuador, uh, Mexico and Brazil to a certain extent. And, uh, and that actually helps. But unfortunately, that's, that's kind of pitched against the generalized risk aversion because no one really knows in what direction the world is going with this war. But underlying all of that for probably all emerging market borrowers, in fact, all borrowers globally, is what's going on with interest rates in, in Europe, but especially the US, isn't it? Exactly. And that's, uh, that's you know, there are two components, as in, as in all bond markets, to an issuer's funding cost, uh, the, the spread, but also the, the base rate that they're playing, which tends to be the, the US Treasury in emerging markets. And the US Treasury is has sold off very sharply on, on generalized inflation fears. And I think that's a, that extra uh, inflationary pressure from the war is probably the, the overriding factor that has taken a, a bad market to really uh, a terrible market. Um, but these issues still have funding to do though, don't they? So they're going to have to come and pay higher rates eventually, surely? They do. Well, a lot, a lot of them do. I mean, some some issuers have been proactive and, and in January before the war, even though markets were choppy, they just pushed ahead. You know, the likes of Mexico and Chile were very proactive. Um, there are some that have clearly stated funding needs that they haven't uh, haven't completed. Uh, Colombia is probably the 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 obvious one to talk about here they had a funding plan of three billion dollars in international markets and they haven't even started and uh, colombia also has an election coming up which has meant investors are particularly risk averse there and, and their cost of funding compared to if they come now compared to if they'd issued in january is, is you know over 200 basis points higher um, and then across the the corporate world it, it really depends the, 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 there are some very strong borrowers who have the luxury of not needing to, to come because they have decent cash buffers. Others, uh, as we talked about last week, uh, can access the loan market. Others have domestic bond markets. Um, and, but, and then some which perhaps don't have access to, to bond markets, even if they wanted to. Well, if we could just go back to uh, Colombia for a second, and I, I want to pitch it against Romania, which sounds like a an excellent mid '90s World Cup fixture. But um, yeah. in particular, Romania has had a different experience in the capital markets this year to um, to Colombia, hasn't it? And it was out with a deal this week. Can you um, tell us a bit about uh, what Romania's got on and done? Well, Romania funded, I believe, for the third time this year in international markets. 
uh, it had to pay a, a, a pretty hefty new issue premium of 40 to 50 basis points, um, which is something that was completely unheard of for an investment grade credit um, as, as recently as last year. Um, but they have their they have the money in their pocket. And that's yeah, kind I mean, of... this is an EU member state, isn't it, as well? So it's going to be at the very sort of top tier of um, emerging market credits, you'd think. I mean, it's 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 near the top tier. It's definitely uh, it's 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 investment grade, which Colombia uh, no longer is. But uh, but you know, there's no question that Colombia is, is an established borrower. It, it could have issued it could issue tomorrow if it wanted. Well, it'd probably struggle on a Saturday, but um, <laughs> you know, it could it could issue most days. Um, and uh, and 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 the the I think for for the Latin American bankers, Colombia is one that's discussed a lot because I remember back in January, uh, uh, everyone was when we were discussing, you know, who are the likely issuance candidates. Everyone told me they were pitching Colombia. Colombia always issues in January. It was expected to come, but at the time there was sort of some election noise. Um, there's a, a a left wing candidate leading the polls that. Investors are kind of scared as, as to what that might mean for economic policy. Uh, there was also some rates volatility already, uh, and and it wasn't you know conditions weren't ideal even in January, but the uh, even then when no one was expecting a war, the, the general consensus with with the banks from the banks was um, that it's hard to see funding conditions getting better. Uh, Colombia took an opposite view. Colombia expected its it's about its bonds to rally and that it would be able to fund at a, a cheaper level that hasn't happened and and today that it's 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 in a pretty tricky position and it's not it's not it's not in character really colombia usually gets its funding done early it's very unusual for them to go into a major election with none of their international funding done uh, the only sort of silver lining is that uh, the the increase in oil prices means that that 3 billion they they said they were going to raise in january is probably going to be a bit smaller uh, but still they're going to pay levels that they haven't paid for for many years when they do eventually come i've just looked this up and uh, romania in fact played colombia at the 94 and 98 World Cups and Romania won both. So, um, oh, really? So, I don't know if there's any read across the capital market strategy there. But, um, what are other borrowers going to have to do then? Are they going to have to sort of suck it up like Romania has? What are what are what have people been telling you this week about, um, how to issue bonds in emerging markets for, for the months to come? Well, as I said, it depends on it depends on the issuer. Uh, some are in the luxury, uh, will have the luxury of waiting or, or, or looking elsewhere. But uh, there, what we're hearing is, and maybe this is just wishful thinking from some of the syndicates, is that issuers are going to be have to become a bit more proactive with getting out there and marketing deals, even if they know they might not be able to price the day after the roadshow, which is the traditional way of doing things. Um, in in the past, I think people cared very much about what other issuers and other bankers thought of their deals. Uh, they didn't want to be seen as having made a mistake by coming and marketing a deal on a bad week and then having to wait. Um, you know, it was kind of a source of embarrassment and, you know, everyone smirked. Oh, look at that silly issuer. You know, what did, they, well, who did they think they were? Why are they coming this in this or, market? Or worse, opening, opening books on a deal and then having to cancel it halfway through. Well, indeed, which, you know, is something that has happened, uh, a, a few times, but it's not something we've seen, uh, at least not in Latin America this year. 
Um, and I think it's because people's attitude has just been, I'm not taking that risk. I'm not putting my name out there and risking getting a hammering from all sides if I have to cancel the deal. But 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 what some bankers think will happen is is, is borrowers are going to have to be bra- be brave, be bold, swallow their pride a bit, say, you know, I, I realize the, the the world might collapse in the middle of my deal, but I'm going to. I'm, I'm going to carry on anyway. I mean, uh, la- the Thursday after the last Fed meeting, uh, which I think was the 5th of May, there was a Trinidadian company in the market, what looked like a decent market. Um, and uh, then then we had one of the worst days in in, in stock market history, I think, uh, coupled with a sell-off in treasuries, which is particularly unusual. They just hung in there. They, got, they didn't tighten their deal. They paid 9%. Um, but they but they got their deal done, and I, I don't think they're regretting that that today. I guess I guess one of the blessings is that we now live in a world where um, it's much easier to do a roadshow. Uh, like you said before, the traditional method was to head out on this roadshow um, and then pr- start start pricing the deal either halfway through or right at the very end. Um, but that entailed taking legions of people on. Uh, uh, horrendous um, plane trips around the world, visiting sort of, you know, five countries in three days and that sort of thing. Don't need to do that anymore. So presumably the investor marketing part of this is is now easier to do. And are investors, you know, receptive to this sort of marketing um, of a credit when there's not necessarily a deal to follow immediately afterwards? I think it's interesting for investors. And as you say, it's it takes, as it takes less time for, an issuer to to do marketing it's it's less out of a, an investor's day as well you know this in the in the old days they'd probably have to trek across new york to a to a, a lunch of stale sandwiches and hear a cfo uh drone on and if they realize halfway through that they're not interested well they've just wasted their trip whereas mm. you know they can just put a roadshow presentation on in the background while they you know um chat to their children in the middle of the day or something and uh, it's it's a lot less of a of an inconvenience, and I, I the think people it's... running my pension don't do that. <laughs> um, and um, just as long as they're investing in the right emerging markets, corporates, you'll be fine, Ralph. Um, fine, uh, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> but I think you you had an interesting comment, didn't you, from a from an investor who said um, he, he he you know partly because he wasn't busy, um, well, exactly. he, he was he was willing to listen to roadshows and 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 kind of admitted that. In the past, he might have been a bit uh, sort of uh, harsh on issuers that sort of brought a deal almost to the market and then decided not to because they were sort of wasting his time. But uh, but now, you know, was, was much more forgiving of that. Yeah. And, and ultimately, it's in the interest of these investors for issuers to continue to come to market, because if the bond markets turn into a complete turn off for everyone, they're not going to have much left to buy. Um, and it, and it's not great for their uh, their investment thesis if 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 there's no diversification in the market, for example. So you know, they they probably want to see new deals. It's very hard to pick up paper in the secondary market. Uh, the new issue market is where they you know really um, fill out their portfolios. So I think I think they're they're willing to be forgiving, and and ultimately uh, everyone knows. Um, everyone, everyone has had a bad experience this year. Whether you're a bank running a deal and you've just completely failed to match your issuers' expectations on price, or whether you're a, an investor who thinks they've you know bought a bargain because they 
and they got you know a 50 basis point new issue premium and then three days later your 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 investment is down three percent in in cash price terms i mean everyone suffered everyone realizes what what world we're in and and i think the stigma of you know a failed deal or a deal that doesn't attract a, a big book or maybe has to reduce the size or maturity i, I think that stigma is uh, is probably fading somewhat what really matters is is getting the funding done and another another interesting aspect though is that um you know in order to to get deals done and to bring issues to market it's very helpful to have feedback from investors beforehand isn't it about what you know where they see value for the for a particular issuer you know what what sort of pricing they they want basically and and that's become a bit more difficult hasn't it it has been difficult. I mean, I think some investors are guilty of being a little bit uh, coy in terms of letting issuers know during marketing what they really what they really want. Uh, and obviously, price expectations can change very quickly during the uh, during the uh, marketing process. But in the old days, uh, you know, or traditionally, you look at a borrower's curve, um, or if you've not issued before, you look at the curve of uh, a similar borrower and uh, and that gives you a guidance to what kind of yield you'll have to offer investors to to get them interested in your deal that's becoming more and more difficult because secondary markets are very liquid and um so, some of the numbers you see on the screens are, are, are basically useless and also the new issue concessions are, are very unpredictable uh, you don't know how much as there's so little issuance you don't really know how much um, on top of the curve, you're going to have to issue, uh, offer investors. So it makes it difficult. There, there was an interesting couple of cases from Latin America that, that people have highlighted to me. Um, in April, uh, Davi Vienda, a Colombian bank, which is a very solid name that, you know, will have no, no problem really raising funding if it's willing to pay, went out on the road, um, well, uh, figuratively on the road, uh, met investors was going to do a senior unsecured deal, and um, and at the time it's it probably the the best comparable bond was a bond by Banco de Bogota, uh, another Colombian lender, uh, and based on the level that that bond was quoted, common sense would have dictated that um, David Vienda could issue a, a decent a decent decently priced bond. They never emerged. They never proceeded with their deal. They, which is a clear sign that they didn't like the feedback they got from investors. Uh, and one banker pointed out to me that on the day that David Viendo launched their roadshow, uh, that bank with the Bogota bond was trading inside the Colombian sovereign, uh, which suggests that it was really uh, of no use whatsoever. There's no reason that a Colombian bank should trade inside the sovereign, but the sovereign trades and is liquid and reflects risk. That piece of bank paper um, doesn't trade very much and, uh, you know, ultimately misled David Vienda into thinking it could get a deal done at a certain level. That's the, the theory. And there's a few there's a few other cases where that's clearly happened. I mean, obviously, issuers and investors have, uh, to some extent, opposing opposing needs. One is trying to bring as much money out of the other as possible, really, in its own self-interest. And so, you know, the new issuance process, it might be like, likened to a sort of a game of poker, I suppose. Uh, and what we're sort of, I guess what we're seeing at the moment is 
uh, it's a cliche, but uh, sides are sort of keeping their cards close to their chest. Issuers aren't really coming to talk about what they want to do. Investors aren't really giving any feedback about what they want to buy. Really, this is going to have to come a bit more like a game of snap, isn't it? Where uh, <laughs> people like lay their cards down, you see what everyone's got, and you react when it matches. It's, and that will probably be in both sides' best interests, one assumes, because investors have to invest what they've got, and issuers need to raise funding. So something has to give somewhere. I think it's definitely in the interests of both parties. There was an interesting note from Gramercy, uh, which is an, an, an emerging markets focused investment uh, manager in, in, in the US. And uh, they noted that the, the dearth of new supply um, may lead to a decline in the size of the investable universe, reversing a long running trend of asset class growth. Um, and if your asset class is shrinking, um, as an investor, it's probably going to be very hard to raise cash, you persuade people to part with their cash and let you invest in that asset class. Um, so there has to be, it has to change at some point. And, and if it doesn't change, we're seeing cases of bond issuers looking elsewhere. We discussed last week, I think we mentioned um, issuers looking to the loan market. Uh, this week, a couple of um, quite highly stressed Latin American issuers, uh, AES El Salvador and Credit Valores in Colombia, went elsewhere. In fact, Credit Valores went to, to Gramercy uh, and UBS and raised $100 million as sort of private private credit, basically, um, to survive because the bond markets are just not open. Uh, those are probably extreme cases, but the inv- issuers will look elsewhere. And it's not really in the, in the best interests of, of, of the market, whether that's the bankers or the investors, for issuers, issuers to turn away. Um, so but just coming back to this point about putting the cards on the table which I thought was a very good analogy um, why why are investors being reluctant to sort of say what they want well in the old days uh, investors would fight for allocation you know they'd fight to be given as much of a new a new bond as, as possible and, and they'd have to be uh, competitive uh, with their with their pricing otherwise they'd be kicked out the deal basically at the moment, they know that it's a buyer's market. They're not particularly incentivized to be open because they're likely to get a full allocation no matter, no matter what. Um, so really, the, the, they have all the power in negotiations right now um, until, of course, uh, they go too far and investors and issuers turn their nose up, um, which is so there has to be a, a balance sort of struck. <laughs> Aside from the um, operational level view, though, Ollie, of uh, investors versus issuers, if we go back to the sort of more, as it were, strategic level, yields and spreads are going up, um, and that's bad for borrowers. So why aren't they being more forthcoming and uh, and pushing to pushing to do deals? Well, it, it's a bit of pill to swallow, I think, if you've been funding under, say, under five percent for the last four or five years and you're suddenly told that you have to pay seven percent if you want new money and uh, not this isn't the penny hasn't dropped with all issuers and this is why a lot of them are reluctant to come still and the bad news for them is uh, that there's plenty of reasons to think it could still get worse for emerging markets Uh, the bulk i mean the the emerging markets index is around 16 percent lower year to date, which is a, a pretty bad number. Um, but but it's only pretty much in line with stock markets. And that's almost entirely due to the sell-off in, in rates in US treasuries. The spread, uh, as in 
what investors are charging extra for emerging markets hasn't really increased that much. Um, this could be bad news because if we're heading into a recession or at least a very challenging growth environment, emerging markets, high yield bonds, are the, those spreads are going to widen. So traditionally, 7%, which is the average uh, EM sovereign bond yield at the moment, is a good place to buy a sovereign bond. It doesn't usually get much higher. But the, the, really, if you think uh, we're, we're, in, we're entering a, a difficult environment, you've got already high rates, the, the spreads haven't sold off. And in fact, Bank of America think we're only halfway through the spread sell off in emerging markets. Things are going to get worse. So really, the sooner the better for uh, for issuers. And, the, and it's also a question of what's the what's the bigger downside? You know, um, maybe you issue next week and then there's a miraculous comeback in the market uh, and you could have saved a bit of money if you'd waited. Uh, but the alternative, if you wait and then the market really tanks, you have a lot more to lose. Um, and, and in some cases, you'll be locked out of the market completely and then you're facing a, a funding crisis. So I, I think the sooner the better is the, is the, is the mantra. Well, if you want to know more about the fate of emerging market bond issuers over the coming months, or indeed the airlines and travel sector, or anything in the capital markets, be sure to log on to globalcapital.com. Uh, you can follow all of those stories there. Um, or, of course, listen to the podcast. Subscribe to it for free. It's out every Friday. Just search for Global Capital on any podcast platform and you'll find us. And therefore, it only remains for me to thank Ollie and John for joining me to record this episode and to thank Gerald Hayes, our producer, for putting it all together. We'll be back for more for the capital markets next week. So thank you very much for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.